this is uh, this is uh, language, uh, the language of the bridegroom, which is a study that some might consider to be a study on marriage. It is not. Some might consider it to be a study on the Jewish wedding. It is not. It is actually a an attempt to take the uh, to take the language that God puts in the Holy Scriptures that might be termed that kind of study and try and discover something about our relationship with God. I did. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. So, this is, for those of you who have never done one of my studies before, this is lesson zero. How can there be a lesson zero? Because I'm a programmer and zero is a number. It's the first number. Look, I always go with I always go with zero based arrays, and here we are. Zero. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, language is the problem. We have problems with language. I know language seems to solve problems, but I contend that language is a problem. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more or less. The question is said, is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is, which is to be master? That's all. That's Lewis Carroll, through the looking glass. <laughs> no, no, this, was, this is very insightful. It's very insightful. So language is a problem. All right, who knows that, who knows who... Antoine de Saint-Zupri is. Oh. Okay, I want you to go to the library and get... Okay, you just go to Amazon and download anything that he wrote. It's awesome. Philosopher. He's a pilot, too. It's very cool. Uh, so this is post-planes? Post-planes. I don't read... What, stuff from the 20s? My calls them 30s? Okay, language, yeah, that's right. They wear funky bathing suits. <laughs> All right, language is a problem. Language is a source of misunderstandings. That's Antoine de Saint-Zupri. Language is the problem. The limits of my language means the limits of my world. I know Ludwig sounds like a German ma- name and he was born in Germany, but he's actually an English philosopher. Language is the problem. Meow means woof in cat. <laughs> So the Bible is not written Greek or Hebrew. I don't know what happened to my bullet points. They're not coming in. So you just, guys, don't read ahead. I gave it to you already. It, the Bible is not written in Greek and Hebrew. Don't read ahead. What's your, what's your uh, response to that? The Bible was not written in... Yeah, it is. <laughs> Latin. Yeah, it's like, oh, if I'm Catholic, it's Latin. Duh. No. La- the language and culture are inseparable. Their language and culture cannot be separated. In fact, if you were if you were to take a psycholinguistics class in university, you'd you'd find there's been raging debates ever since the dawn of time about whether culture is supreme or language is supreme. But everybody can agree they're inseparable. Taking the holy and true words of Scripture as separate from the culture in which they were written is neither holy or true. And I can you. Actually, we could, we could play this game. We could pull verses out of context and say, well, that's what it says. Let the thief steal. No more let him labor with his hands. That's what Paul says. 
Let the thief steal. Well, there's no, there's no, there's no commas in Greek. Let the thief steal. No more let him labor with his hands. When we use an ex- when we use an ex- a historical a historical context to interpret scripture, it's almost the same as a private interpretation. Why, how can I say that? If I use historical, doesn't everybody use a historical conference? Well, what did the readers at that time think it meant? That's what historical context is. What did the readers in the first century think it meant? Or the hearers when Messiah said certain things? That's historical context. Well, we can ask that today about what the Second Amendment means. Ah, and that's only less than 300 years ago. It's pretty clear, but apparently it's open to interpretation. That's the point. Who defines the words being used? Historical context. Who defines the history? If we say, let's read this in a historical context, that sounds very noble and true. But who writes the history? Gerhard Kittel was a historian, an expert in Hebrew. He was raised in a home that knew Hebrew backwards and forward. His father was a principal editor of the Stuttgart Manuscript of the Tanakh that we all use today. Gerhard Kittel was not just an anti-Semite. He didn't just not like Jews. He actually helped Hitler plan how to murder them all. And if you go to any seminary today, what dictionary are you going to use to understand what Hebrew words mean? If you have a lot of money, it will be the greater or larger kill. But if you're on the cheap, it's the smaller or concise kill. And in fact, if you're so bold as to say, I'll use Jesinuous, they'll say, oh, not nearly as valid as Kittle. So, all of our wonderful seminaries that are teaching Hebrew. My, my, uh, you know, my, my father-in-law, when he went to seminary, he had to learn Hebrew. Okay, He's going to study scripture. He's going to get a PhD. He's going to study scripture. Do you know what language he had to learn before he learned Hebrew? German. Why? To read Kittle. Not just a anti-Semite, a murderer. In fact, he died before he was put on trial for murder of six million Jews. So, can we use historical context? Maybe not. There's no other culture than God's, the culture of God's people. Here's, here's a real popular thing. Coming from evangelical Christianity, you may have heard of contextualization. If we share the gospel with somebody, we should go and we should understand their language. We should attempt to find a common ground in their language, like Paul did in Athens. And on that common ground then, introduce universal concepts into their language so that they can understand it. That sounds very noble. There's only one problem. Maybe in their language... Killing an enemy is a righteous act. As opposed to love your enemies. How do you explain that one in a culture that doesn't know what love your enemies means? Kill them with kindness, kindness, yeah. (laughs) Do you understand? Culture can't be separated from language, ever. So if you go to a culture, and by the way, I'm I'm not dissing the idea that we have to somehow appeal to people in their language. But if you go to a culture and the culture doesn't 
doesn't mix with the scriptures correctly, what do you have to do? You have to teach them the right culture. So what culture do you think that evangelical Christianity has spread around the world? English and American culture. So when a missionary goes to Central Africa and sees women that wear no tops, they say, that's, mis- that's immodest. You have to cover your top. And the missionary walks around in short skirts or pants, offending the African far more than they were offended with no top. Which culture is valid? Is either culture valid? Exactly. In order to express something. Greek is a wonderful language in that way. You can make words up. It's like German. Just combine enough words in. You can make a sentence, one word. Because <laughs> you can just keep adding stuff in. That's what he did. It's exactly what he did. Paul is the author of many Greek words. Made up out of whole cloth by combining words, making new words. In John 4.22, first of all, the writers of the, of the, of the, of the, of the entire Bible with the exception of possibly one, although I would argue that Luke was Jewish, but with the possible exception of one, everybody else was Jewish. Not just Jewish, observant Jewish. What we today would say, the Orthodox of Orthodox. Not secular. These are holy people. And they continue to live as observant Jews. What culture would they have written in? What language did they write in? Greek and Hebrew. But what culture did they write in? Everybody will tell you if they study the Greek New Testament, the apostolic scriptures, that it's all in Greek. But wow, man, some of the ways they say stuff just don't sound like Greek. It sounds like Hebrew that somebody put into Greek. Jewish. It sounds like Jewish. John 4.22. Yeshua says, salvation is from the Jews. We read that previously. Romans 3, 1 through 2. Paul says, Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. That's in his argument that says it is good. It is beyond good to be Jewish. Why? Because they were entrusted with the oracles of God. You wouldn't know that today. In some people's minds, oh no, they can't be trusted because after all, they're, they're probably pulling it out of that Talmud thing. Psalm 147, 19 through 20. He says he declares his word. And by the way, this is where Paul got it from. He declares his word to Jacob and Israel. He has not given it to the nations. There's only one language and one culture that the Bible is in. And it's not Western, it's not Chinese, it's not Japanese, it's not South American, Brazilian, it's not from Congo or Kenya. Or what we look back to and believe that we think. What Jewish people must have been like. They were all very clean, and they had these nice little things that went over their heads, right? Uh, With like a band around it. Kind of like a shepherd. (laughs) And they had bathrobes on all the time. Blue-haired, blue, blue eyes, blonde hair. How, do you, how could you possibly get some of the paintings of Yeshua that we have? Yeah, you know, it's astounding. Unless it's been contaminated. It's embarrassing, it is. So, the Bible was written in Jewish. I know, it's not a language. But you can't separate the language from the culture. So it's written in Jewish. It is. got to say it, it's easy. Of course the Bible's written in Jewish. 
I mean, there's no Jewish, but it is. So if context is king, example is the emperor. In Bible study, I was always taught this, you know, context is king. Don't take something out of context. Look at the context, and that will tell you what it means. But I'll tell you, there's something way better than context, and it's example. By example. When you read Deuteronomy 23, and it talks about counting, what do you do? It's not like you go, well, I have no idea what that's talking about. It's something I just did. I count every day. I count the Omer every day. It's part of my it's part of my life. And, um, the God knows that the language of action is actually more basic and more powerful to human understanding than any other language. Um, and the best example I can think of is recently I was had the honor of enjoying Abdallah at the end of the Sabbath, Gregory's family, and his one year old daughter who has, does not form sentences yet, and even though she pretends to read, has not. She may have. She just doesn't voice it yet. But, but so we, we, get to, we get to the, uh, to the baby culture of Abdallah where you stick your hand out to the flame to make use of the fire as you bless God for the, for the flame. She did it too because she's watched people do it. She saw the example. So she understood whether she understands all the reasons behind it. She knows at this point when everybody else does this, I do it too. Do you think it's important for her to know the reason right now? Isn't that amazing? But even if she did, it doesn't really matter. Why do you do that? I don't know. My dad. That's a pretty cool answer, by the way. That's actually kept Jewish. My grandparents did it the way. My great, my great, 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 great grandparents did that that way. Exactly right. So how do you know that God is a father? I mean, he says he's a father, but how do you know he's a father? Not what you read. How do you know? Because your dad looks like him. Yeah, exactly. As long as you have a good dad. No, that's what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. If, you're, if your father is a brutal jerk, does, telling, does me telling you God's like a father help you? Maybe not. So you've got to understand the language, right? 
You've got to understand the culture. How do we know that God is like a, a protector, a shepherd? We experience it, right? How do we know he's like a bridegroom? We experience it. So it's the experience. And more importantly, just exactly the description. Thank you for the description of the Havdalah, because that's perfect. It's the description of the repeated patterns. Not even knowing what the reasons are is not as important as it being an established habit. Let me give you an example. In Hebrews, we're told that we should be diligent to enter the rest. Diligent to enter rest? Work hard to not work? That's what it says. Work hard not to work. There still remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I can tell you something. Half the people, more than half, a majority of the people who read that have no clue what that means. They think they know what it means. They don't know what it means. Nobody that, unless you've lived a repeated pattern of every single Friday, Thursday maybe, maybe Wednesday, working to get everything done so that when the sun happens on set Friday night, you're ready. Because if you're not ready, it just doesn't get done. And if you want to have a nice Shabbat, you better make sure that everything's ready that has to be ready. It's funny you say that about working hard so that you can rest because the guy on our uh, sales team who is, as everybody knows, very devout Christian, and he was explaining today, it, it was really cool that he was sharing about working hard so that you can rest for the That's right. Sunday. That's right. But he didn't get it because his ex- explanation was so that you can go out and do things. And with your family, you can go play golf. And, and go out to eat. <laughs> no. what a complete rest truly is. So the whole point of the writer of Hebrews in chapter, all of chapter 3 and 4 is completely lost. Not completely, but it's largely lost on it. They don't get it. They've never lived it. They do not know. However, if you were to tell this, sit them aside and go, I'm going to read you something. I'm going to tell you where it's from. But I'm going to read you something. You tell me what you think. The, the average Israeli school kid, they'd go, yeah, I've seen my parents do that all the time. I've lived that. <laughs> if we don't do it, we don't, we don't got Shabbat. That's right. Anybody. This is why the Hebrew Roots Movement and Messianic Movement is so, is so satisfying to so many people. is because they finally look, read the Bible and go, that's what it was talking about. Because now I'm living it. I'm not just reading about it. It's no longer just academic. It's an experience. Right? The experience is that culture. It's not just the language, it's the culture that the language is spoken in. And as I said, Hebrews 3, 7 through 4, 11. Only those who prepare for Shabbat can rightly appreciate the urgency of that passage. We know the Feast of Unleavened Bread because we live it. I know it's like not to eat leaven for seven days. It is a substitute. And so instead, now what you have is a, is a, is a 45-minute sermon on Sunday, of which 30 minutes is some sort of examples from real-day life to try so you could take something home with you. Well, and what that does is when you take the experiential out and you're left with the, the conceptual and the academia, then what does that do? It, it puts way too much emphasis on the theology. Right? Yeah. Not on the practice. That's right. And, and, and you esteem those who have mentally ascended into it, <sighs> but they don't learn any of the Is your pastor a doctor? Our pastor is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Foster. 
<laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Anyway, what I was thinking was Mother Teresa always had this quote about you know what she's doing in Calcutta, and she's like, "Can't explain." She always just say, "Come and see." That's it. And what what the the word that I could say attracted me to this walk so much was contagious. The first night I ever came over was here on a Monday night for pizza, and we sat around the table. We started here, talk scripture. We sat around the table talk scripture, and I see family's house, you know, home, they sing before dinner, they sing after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> it's always singing. It's being courted by righteous men. It's pretty cool. We talk scripture afterwards, and then I leave, and I immediately, I called this guy named David in my life, and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but you gotta come see this. <laughs> like, this is your family in like 10 years. You just gotta come see and, you know, even started coming to Shabbat. You know, my first one was at, was, at, was at Greg's house. And I was like, when I go, because I got to work on Saturday. And I was, you know, kept in slowly but surely. It was just contagious, contagious, contagious. So Good. I was finally, like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I, I can't resist. Like, this, this is the most amazing thing in the world. It is. Because you're actually experiencing it. It was just an experience. Yeah, it's true. Very good. So the language of the bridegroom, it's not just any bridegroom that speaks so. This is important. This is the problem when we read the Bible and we try and translate it into our culture. Because if you're a bridegroom, or if you're a bride in Saudi Arabia, the talk of being a bridegroom maybe give you a different view. Maybe it's not a bad view, but it's definitely different. Or Japan, or Brazil, or even America. We've talked about this before. In, a, in a, an American wedding, who does everybody stand up for? In a Jewish wedding, who does everybody stand up for? The groom. Wait a minute. That's not right. Yeah, so, yeah that's right. <laughs> you have a point. <laughs> you have a point. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so to adequately hear the nuance of his words, his language is best understood in his culture. Who's he? Who's he? The bridegroom. Who is the bridegroom? It's God. What's his culture? I'm sorry, there's no way that you can ever go to the Bible and come up with anything different than the one that he gave. It's Jewish. Like, like, uh, like Ben. We can't eat that. We're Jewish. Well, don't you think that that was exactly the thing that God wanted to hear all the little kids say in Leviticus. We can't eat that. We're Jewish. Well, maybe they didn't say Jewish at the time. But we can't eat that. We're Israeli. Israelites. Hebrew. We're Hebrew. Why? Well, why can't you do that? I don't know. We just don't do that. It doesn't really matter. We just don't do it. That's just wrong. Because, because the Torah, the commandments of God, express His values. They're not rules. They're values. They're, he explains, this is the culture I want you to live in. These are, these are the explanation of the culture that I want my people to live in. Back today, um, God has done a brilliant job of interweaving His law, His Torah, His faith with Jewish culture that um, at this point it's almost um, it's incredibly confusing to both Jews and to others if, Judy, if Jewish culture is 
culture, if ethnicity, if it's religion. Is it a religion? They're, yeah. they're repeatedly accused of all sorts of crazy, you know, uh, racism. Well, no, no, it's not that. It's anti-religionism, or it's a... I mean, even people who are their opponents don't understand them. That's right. Because it's all interwoven together. They are God's people. They are the Bible lived out. <coughs> They are the Bible lived out. Here's, here's, let, me, let me caution you. The reason why we want to do this is we want, to, we want to take one aspect of God, one way that he explains himself, and he explains himself as the bridegroom. We want to look at that. But the danger of us starting down this road without defining what, what kind of look at the culture. Are we just going to look at the culture of the first century? Well, well no, that's not when the Bible was written. Parts of the Bible were written then. Well, are we just going to look at the culture of the Exodus? They were good then. Oh really? They 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 had a they had a <laughs> they had a golden calf. So is that the one we're going to look at? How about Jeremiah when he tra- describes himself as the bridegroom and you know glories or Isaiah? All these are glory times, but no, they're not. Israel was often in disobedience when God's explaining Himself in the culture of the Jewish people. The danger is to say. Okay, I'll accept the fact that the Bible was written back then to Jewish people. But Jewish people today, they are not connected to those people. After all, rabbinic Judaism came along, Rabbi Akiva messed everything up, and all of a sudden, they're doing all sorts of funky stuff. Kabbalah? I mean, that's not in the Bible. Right? Actually, Kabbalah is in the Bible, but not in the way that some people think. What's Kabbalah mean? Received. And Yeshua himself says, I've received and I give it to you. (laughs) That's right. Kabbalat Shabbat, the welcome. Um, but anyway, the, 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 my point here is, though, that it's not just the Jewish people then. You have to understand, the Bible was written then, but it was given to a people that preserved it in their culture. Somebody told me the other day, uh, actually, it's been a several years ago. Well, we never. Well, it was. It just seems like the other day. Here's the reason why I was thinking day, because he said, well, we don't really know when the Sabbath was. Oh, really? We don't? No. I mean,. You know, okay, so we could say it's now, it's Saturday. You know, this Saturday is, I'll, I'll give you that, but we may be off a day or two. I go, really, why do you think that? Well, because back then, they did this thing that every, at the new moon, they'd count seven days, and then they'd count another seven days, and they count another seven days, and every once in a while, you'd have that, you know, but then a new moon, you have to start over again. So really, can you show me why they did that? Where, where did you get that from? From the, you know, from the British Museum, they explain this to you? Or where'd that come from? Because there's no zero scholarly evidence of that at all. That's a myth. I think it's made up by Karaites. Surprise! Or Samaritans that want to mess everybody up. Because here's, I can tell you this without a shadow of doubt, and anybody that knows the history of the Jewish people will tell you this, we know Shabbat because the Jewish people have always kept it. Always kept it. And we know they know how to count. We know they know how to count. <laughs> we killed a family member on Shabbat. That's right. We know we kept it because right at the beginning we killed one of our family because he didn't keep it. They kept it. You think anybody after that's going to count it wrong? So, does the culture today reflect a biblical value? In large part, yes. That's why we... It's not to say everything, but it's to say, that is the culture that is expressing biblical values. Can I say the same thing on Wednesday night at the local Baptist church? I cannot. I'd like to, but I can't. 
I can't say that's the culture expressing the Bible. They call themselves a New Testament church when there was no such thing as the New Testament or a church. (laughs) How can they say that they're following our master? I'm not saying they are or aren't. But how can they say our culture expresses our master's culture when they don't even do what their master does? Right? So, if we want to hear him being expressed as a bridegroom, we have to see him not just as a bridegroom as we know bridegrooms from our Western culture, but we have to understand the bridegroom in the Jewish culture. Not just the Jewish culture back then, the Jewish culture through the ages. Because to the Jews, not were, are, present tense, given the oracles of God. No other people... No other nation was entrusted, only Judah and Israel. He makes it clear. I'm not just talking whatever, you know, whatever kind of racism you want to come up with. The Jewish people, they are given the oracles of God. Are you talking about like religious Jews? Is what should be or I'm not, actually, I'm not even limited to that. I'm not even limited to that. I said we have to be very careful. We have to examine, how does this express a biblical value? As we look at a Jewish tradition, does it express a biblical value or not? We shouldn't just wipe it out because, well, I don't see it. We should examine it. It's, not, it's, it's all not cut and dried, is what I'm telling you. There's, a, there's a, an immersion, as it were. If you are immersed in a Jewish culture, you'll see, you may see the things that you would likely push off to the side. But you're going to see far more of the value, the biblical value in the middle. Does that answer your question? So, here's the rules for our study. This is lesson zero, which means we have to establish the ground rules. There's homework. It's on, it's on Brian's online, if you want to do it. Uh, we'll be meeting the third, the third Tuesday of every month to go over the next lesson. So, lesson one will be the third Tuesday of, of May. Um, <laughs> that was another lesson. Okay, information's not the goal. I mean, it's fun. I like, I like learning too, but it's not the goal. The information's not the goal. It's to live it. Parables, this is a good rule. I want you to always remember this one. Parables are not expressed, facts expressed in prose. That's what everybody thinks at first. Parables are facts expressed as prose. But a parable is not facts a parable is a sermon example. The same people that say, well, I just don't believe that that's true. You know, how do we know that, that Rebecca was only three? Or, no, how do we know that Isaac was 37? How do we know that Sarah died when Isaac was offered on the altar? We don't know that. That's just a Jewish fable. Remember, a parable is not a fact expressed in prose. A parable, the point of a parable is to illustrate something using common, understandable language so that we can get a greater truth, right? That's why I have no problem sharing fables. The Midrash, anybody, anybody that studies Midrash will tell you, I don't care if it's true or not. It's beside the point. That's right. It's besides the point. It's teaching a principle. It's using an everyday thing of our life. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not part of your life, is it? You don't know what a Samaritan is or a good one either. Because it's not part of your life. It's not a part of your culture. 
If you had immersed yourself in the culture, you would see it wasn't the Samaritan. It wasn't an example of the Samaritan that was good. You can't even call the parable the parable of the good Samaritan. If you know the culture. Right? What's the teaching? It's not that Samaritans can be good. The teaching is sometimes you see kindness in the most unlikely places. Go thou and do likewise. It's always the point. Now you do it. It's not, now I know that when I die, I don't have to go to Abraham's bosom anymore. That's Luke. Because that's no longer there because there's a place, apparently there's a hot side and a cold side. And I don't want to be on the hot side. That's theology taken from a parable. Right? What's the parable about? Always carry water. <laughs> <laughs> so practical side is, even when you die, have a bottle of water in your hand. No, what's the parable? The parable is about, what's the parable about? It's parables about, look, how you live this life, not the afterlife. That's right. It's how you live this life. That's right. So here we have the poor man, the, you know, the, the flip side, the rich man and the poor man in, in the bosom of Abraham, right? <laughs> Instead, we've created a whole theology out of a whole cloth, out of a parable. Sarah's, <laughs> Sarah's bosom, yes, okay. So, <laughs> so life also, here's another rule. Life's not divided between sacred and common. It doesn't work that way. How do we make things sacred? We separate them, but we also take, we can take common things and make them sacred. Actually, the Torah teaches this. Leviticus is all about this. We take common things and we make them sacred. How do we do that? Following God's rules, we're able to take the common and bring the holy into the world. And, and what I'm, I've known this, but it, it came back to me Sinless. With sinless imperfection, which is, has nothing to do with that. It simply means set apart for a purpose. That's right. Why is Israel holy? Is it because they keep the Torah? They never sin? They're great? No, they're holy because God said. <laughs> You're my holy people. That's right. Why is the Bible holy? Because it's not like any other book. Right. Yep, that's good. Very good. So we bring holiness into this world when we obey God. We do. It's amazing. I mean, you think about that for a moment. You know, the whole concept of tikkun olam may be a little bit too too weird for you, but let me promise you, we bring holiness into this world. Peter and Paul both talk about this. We bring holiness into this world when we obey God. Simple little things bring holiness into the world. You think about that, that's profound. The whole tabernacle is about bringing the holiest of all into this world. Now we're given little little tasks that allow us to bring holiness into the world. Right. What we do before we go to bed, what we do when we wake up. Exactly. Common things. 
common things. That's, you know, it's a really important thing, concept, and I, and I hope everybody in this room already knows this, but a really important concept is it's the common things that are the most important. You know, saying Shema before you die may be easy. I don't know, but it may be easy compared to the common things. Five by his command. That's right. That's right. Made holy, not sinless. I always like. I always like some messianics. They ought to got to add something into that, which is fine. I don't mind it at all. Except it's interesting because I don't think they understand what kidshano means. Holiness. What is it? It's not sinlessness. Yeah, I made separate. What was that, and actually, that's a very good example. And there's actually there's a whole lot of academic stuff behind that. But just at the surface level, what was his point? No, no. Actually, his point was because he, in the same example, he talks about people who are standing in public to pray or whatever else. He's saying, look, you know, the in, if the inside of the cup is is clean, will the outside be clean? Yes. In other words, get your life right. Don't just put on airs. You know, it's not just about going to church on Easter Sunday. Or being seen. Or being seen. The point is, it was about public religion versus a true life. So, but there is actually a great technical teaching on the cup thing. It's, re, it's actually very cool. But, apart from that, the parable, or the, the illustration being used, was about, simply about not being, you know, visible only. Don't be a hypocrite, Don't be a hypocrite. yeah. It's pretty humble. It sounds like the Chofis Chaim, too. Yeah, right. yeah. But that's not to say that we don't, we don't bring holiness into the common, but it is acknowledging that, as Yeshua said, talking to the hypocrites um, who were hiding all the little small details the Torah did not command, but missing the big commands of justice and righteousness, do those, but do not neglect the weightier matters. 
Which, by the way, if, if we were living in the land, anybody that lives in the land, it's like a no-brainer. Of course, you don't tithe weeds. So when, they re- so when they read that, they're not like, no, 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 we don't tithe weeds. There's only certain things we tithe. You know that, right? I mean, they live it. Yeah? So we don't tithe weeds. Mint, cumin, that's a weed, man. <laughs> All right, more rules. Our study presents an ideal. It's not the only way to get something out of it. We would, be, we would, be, we would actually not be very uh, compassionate if we said that nobody can read the Bible unless they read it our way. That, 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 you know, that's just, well, that's foolish. It's, it's, it's negating the work of God in people's lives. Because God can use, you know, anything to communicate. Right? A donkey can talk. <laughs> that's a talking donkey. No, that's a different donkey. Uh, um, that's a flying talking donkey. Uh, <laughs> so it's an ideal, but it's not the only way. What we're doing is we're trying to see it the best way that we can. We're not going to negate that no one else can get anything out of it unless they know the Jewish stuff. Okay? No finger pointing. This is for people who are married or about to be married. No finger pointing. You can't point fingers and go, you know, if only you are a better bride, I could be a better bridegroom. Because the, rea- the reality is, if you want the perfect spouse, then the only thing you can do is improve yourself. Because you'll never improve your spouse. But you can improve your spouse by improving yourself. It's the only way. Nothing else works. You can try. It just won't work. I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of years of people trying to make it work. It doesn't work. Don't be biased against the unfamiliar. This is what, you know, it, there's, sometimes I read stuff and I go, no way. I mean, I just, okay, I like Jewish stuff, but that's a little out there. And as I start looking at it, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I go, you know, there really is something to that. You know, there really is, I can really appreciate it. But you know what does that for me more than anything else? Is when I examine the lives of the people that say the things I don't quite get. An example, I study, (laughs) I study, I don't just read what great men say. I want to know what they lived. And I'm still reading about him, but I, I gain a greater appreciation for them. Of course, the best way is if they were in real life and I could talk to them. And, you know. But the point is that we're able to actually get past sometimes when we examine that people's motives are pure. That's why a lot of people have trouble with rabbinic things. It's because they think that Akiva and Rashi and Rambam and whoever else, the Rebbe... Uh, Nachman or Rebbe Lubavitch or whatever, their you know they, their motives are impure, and I think that's the danger. Is what they're doing is they're setting themselves to not be able to hear anything wise that they say. So just because it's unfamiliar, don't don't seal yourself off from it. Examine it. See if it's see if it might have an element of truth. Here's the reason why we also need to be very careful. Our culture may be somewhat Jewish. But we got lots of history. Even if you're Jewish and living in America, you got lots of history that goes, something's not so Jewish, right? God revealed Scripture only to the Jews. Only to the Jews. Okay, maybe Luke's not a Jew, but I would offer that he is. He only talked to Jews. He didn't talk to Germans, or Scots, or Japanese. Only Jews. So if I want to figure things out the way he talks, I ought to at least 
consider that if it's Jewish, it may have something for me. Comments? Questions? Okay, well, we'll do it. Thank you. Got a comment? What's the comment? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. He didn't give it to Italians. <laughs> I know the Pope would disagree. <laughs> Do you have the blessing after study? Thank you. I'm sorry, I went a little long, y'all. It, well, at least at least the Pope's consistent. Because he said, I'm allowed to make it up. He really, oh, yes, actually, I take it back. He spoke to an Italian, Cornelius. But we did, he didn't, he didn't, but he didn't write it down. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's thank God. When the rabbis, uh, when the rabbis all take leave of each other at the study hall of Ra'ami, They would say to one another, You shall see the world in your life, and your end shall be with the life of the world to come, and your hope for many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding. May your mouth speak wisdom, and may your tongue bring forth song. May your eyelids look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah, and may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, and your kidneys rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the Ancient of Days. Amen. Amen. Thank you.